Tonight, um, I've been asked to cover the subject of expository shepherding, all right? And um, a lot of what I share is going to come from, uh, I took a course this past semester on the history of expository preaching, and uh, previous to that, uh, I had taken one on the fundamentals of expository preaching. And what I'm hoping to do is, is to start by um, sharing with you some of the things I had learned uh, about expository preaching in the classes I took, um, but I also want to connect it to helping us understand, you know, the way that God shepherds our lives today. And so, that's kind of big picture, that's where we're going to go, um, but let me open us up in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to come before you and your word and to hear uh, from you who is our good shepherd. Uh, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us uh, through your word, but also through your being, uh, through your coming into uh, our world and um, revealing who you are to us. Lord, as we consider your word tonight, would you open our hearts and open our ears and our minds to understand uh, truly what you want us to um, understand, which is that uh, you have given us what we need, everything that we need uh, to hear and obey um, you so that we can live lives that are pleasing to you. Thank you for this evening, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, in your discipleship groups uh, was it last week for your share in prayer, you guys had to read from Psalm chapter 23, also John uh, chapter 10. We were reminded from the Good Shepherd. Am I on? All right, I'm going to try this again. Um, yeah, what we know is that what makes Christ our good shepherd is that he laid down his life for his sheep. Uh, but that he was not only willing to lay down his life for his sheep, but that he was able to take it up again, right? To affirm his authority over life and death. But he has not left us alone as his sheep, right? He has um, given us everything that we need for life and godliness and for us to be able to follow him in the path of righteousness that he leads us on. And so, again, he has given us everything that we need to hear him, to know him, to obey him, and ultimately to grow to be like him. And as we consider this topic of expository shepherding, my hope and prayer is that we will not just understand this to a fuller degree, um, but it, it will ultimately lead us to a greater love and a devotion to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, to begin, let's start with what expository preaching is. Now, it's a term some of you may or may not be familiar with. If you've been to a shepherd's conference or one of the biblical counseling conferences. It's a term that's used often in our church circles. It's actually one of the distinctives of our church. 
And it's one of the nine marks of a healthy church. But what exactly is expository preaching? Can I have my first slide? Well, if we were to break it down, there's two words. First word being expository and the second being preaching. And the word expository, its root word is exposit, which means to explain or to expound, set forth, or flesh out the meaning of. Right? The second word is preaching. Right? Expository is the adjective, preaching is the noun. And the word, it means to proclaim. Right? It's, pro- it's a proclamation or a heralding. And if you look at the original word, uh, the original Greek word for preaching, it is in the context of heralding or speaking on behalf of someone superior. And so someone like a king, right? And so you think of someone like John the Baptist who would proclaim in the wilderness, right, make straight the way of the Lord, right? And that comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Uh, my, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, whom I did my final research project on says this about expository preaching, right? It's not just about giving an exposition or commentary on the biblical text, but it's about bringing a message from God, and that message comes directly from His Word, which is the only source of divine truth, and it is applied directly, personally, and clearly to every hearer. So if we were to put it together, expository preaching, right? One way to say it is, it is biblical exposition that is proclaimed and brought to bear on the lives of the contemporary audience with the aim of spirit-empowered transformation. Or another way to put it is, it is biblical preaching that expounds or explains in its exactness and in its entirety the plain meaning of the biblical passage within its context, also known as the authorial intent. Now, this goes against the popular tide of sentimental, moralistic, anecdotal preaching in our day and age, which has replaced the centrality of the Word of God. Today, it's not just the lack of appetite or appreciation for God's Word, but it's an intolerance to it. And this was predicted by the prophets and the apostles. In Amos chapter 9, verse 11, we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, to char- who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teasers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, 
always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Right? It is into this context and culture that Timothy was to preach the word because it is his word and his word alone that saves, sanctifies, and shepherds his people. This conviction is what held the Apostle Paul to the word of God. He refused to compromise on sound doctrine or inject human ingenuity or wisdom so that in the end, the faith of his hearers might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And unlike the man-centered, man-exalting, man-empowered preaching that many today flock to hear, filling stadiums and megachurches, expository preaching is God-exalting. It's Christ-centered and spirit-empowered preaching of the Word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So where do we trace the origin of expository preaching? If I can get my next slide. Right, in case anyone was wondering, right, John MacArthur did not come up with expository preaching. The Protestant reformers of the 16th century, guys like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, they were credited for recovering expository preaching and bringing it back to its rightful place in the service of the church. Prior to that, the Catholic Church had displaced the one central role of expository preaching with traditions, mass, rituals, and ceremonies. This recovery of expository preaching was tied to the reformers' battle for sola scriptura, with the Word of God being the basis of our Christian faith as opposed to human traditions. The reformers emphasized preaching sound doctrine from the text of Scripture. It was not only sola scriptura that they maintained, that is, Scripture alone, but toda scriptura, all of Scripture, preaching the whole counsel of God. But what they were recovering and what faithful preachers before them upheld in fewer numbers was what the apostles were called to do. We think of the apostle Paul and Peter, right, and their epistles to the churches, but also recorded in the book of Acts are their sermons at Pentecost and at Mars Hills. They were commissioned by Christ himself in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to go out into the world under his supreme authority to make disciples. How? By teaching them to observe all that he had commanded. What the apostles had directly received, they passed on to pastors and elders, faithful men like Timothy and Titus, whom we had studied about in Logos last year, and who were called to set in order the worship and priorities of the church. Chief among them, its leadership, but also its teaching. They were to devote themselves to the ministry of the word, according to 1 Timothy 4.13, to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and preaching, and to teaching the word of God. We think of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the Word, according to John 1.1. As the Logos made flesh, he came to dwell amongst us in order to reveal who God is. 
right? The exact imprint or representation of the divine nature. And to serve as the one and only mediator between God and man. And during his earthly ministry, he was the preeminent expository preacher, not only of his time, but in the history of mankind. Mark tells us that he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And what we've been going over on Sunday mornings, the, sun, the Sermon on the Mount, is arguably the greatest expository sermon ever preached. Jesus Christ is the one to whom all of Scripture points. He is the founder, the perfecter, and object of saving faith. And truly, as Hebrews 1-2 says, in these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom all, so He created the world. But contrary to popular belief, expository preaching did not start in the New Testament. For long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Even before Christ entered the scene, even before he was revealed as the promised Messiah, the fullest revelation of God, God shepherded his people through his word. In the Old Testament, men like Isaiah, the evangelical preacher, Jeremiah, the weeping preacher, Joel, the judgment preacher, and Jonah, the reluctant preacher, they spoke to God's people on behalf of the king. Their sermons consisted of warnings of judgment, call to repentance, and the promise of future salvation. And when the people refused to heed the message of the prophets, God lamented that they did not listen to me. The consequence of their spiritual deafness was not inconsequential, for the people of Israel were led into exile for rejecting the word of the Lord. We also think of Ezra, who was not a prophet, but a scribe and priest. Yet he was used by God to preach his word, to shepherd his people, and to bring about one of the greatest revivals in biblical history. Before, before him came Solomon, who identified himself as the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we considered his expository sermon a couple Sundays ago, his exhortation to fear God and keep his commandments in light of the vanity of this life. Then there was Moses and Joshua who led the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Right? They expounded God's law to his people, exhorted them to obedience, faith, and repentance. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse 5 says this, Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain or exposit this law. If we go down to chapter 4, the same book, Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 through 2, we read, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, 
and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Now drop down to verses 5 through 6. Right? Moses not only teaches and explains the law, but he applies it to his listeners by exhorting them to obedience. Right? Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. One distinction that needs to be made here, right, between the prophets and apostles who spoke from God as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit, and those who are called to preach today. The prophets and apostles were channels of direct revelation, according to 2 Peter 1.21. They wrote and preached under what theologians call divine inspiration. There was no need for biblical exegesis or interpretation. They simply spoke the word that the Lord gave them. Right? Thus says the Lord. On the other hand, we only interpret what has already been revealed, and we do so under the Spirit's gift of illumination, which is different from inspiration. Right? What this means is that it is important and necessary for us to rightly divide His Word in order to properly interpret and apply it to our lives. But when men are faithful to exposit and proclaim the Word, God speaks through them so that we can say of them that they are indeed preaching for God. But we're not done retracing our steps through the history of expository preaching. For before he spoke through the prophets and the apostles, God shepherded his people by speaking directly to them. Now, we don't often think of God as a preacher but what we have recorded in Scripture are many of his sermons. And without sounding sacrilegious, God was the very first preacher, and he sets the standard for all preaching that follows. For after he's finished speaking the stars, the planets, the earth, and mankind into existence in Genesis 1 through 2, God's lips did not fall silent. He kept on speaking, and when he spoke, he was usually preaching. And the most dramatic example of God's preaching was when he gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Now, George Whitfield was renowned for his open-air preaching. And during the Great Awakening, he would preach not in a church, but out in an open field to thousands, if not tens of thousands of people at one time. Right. There were no Bluetooth speakers back then. And I can only imagine being in a crowd that size, trying not to make any noise, and straining to hear Whitfield preach the word. But at Mount Sinai, 
nearly two million people crowded around the base of the mountain to hear God preach. The mountain was the pulpit, and his sermon had ten points. And as God preached, the congregation trembled at his voice. God is a preaching God. He has always shepherded his people through the proclamation of his word. And in the centuries that followed Sinai, God continued to preach through the faithful voices and messages of the prophets and the apostles. He's still speaking and shepherding his people today, not through an audible voice as he did at Sinai, or through revelatory visions and prophecies during the time of the apostles and prophets, but through the expository preaching of his word. Now, before moving on, I want to briefly touch upon styles of expository preaching. And one thing I took away from the course on the history of expository preaching and came to appreciate reading and listening to sermons by different preachers is their different styles of preaching. Yet, they were uncompromising in their commitment to preach the Word. From Augustine and John Chrysostom of the early church, to the great reformers like Luther and Calvin, to the Puritans like John Owen, John Bunyan, to Jonathan Edwards, Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, and James Montgomery Voice, to more contemporary preachers, what ultimately matters is not the human messenger, but the divine message. In the end, each saw themselves as merely mouthpieces for God, as waiters who were called to serve God's people, God's word to his people. They had different personalities and different preaching styles. They were flawed, imperfect, and weak, just as the authors of Scripture. Yet God sovereignly used them to deliver and shepherd his people through his perfect, sufficient, and unchanging word. For the power to regenerate hearts and transform lives has never come from the messenger, but through his spirit and his word, so that we might not say with the Corinthians, I am of Apollos or Cephas, I am of John Piper or John MacArthur, I am of Mark Dever or Mark Chin. In the end, what qualified these men to speak for God was not their education or natural abilities. They were not those with masters in divinity, masters in theology, or doctorate in, in ministry. Right? Not many were charismatic, smart, had excellent oratory skills, or a knack for the original languages. God spoke through men with speech impediments, like Moses, who were uneducated, like Peter. Not the wise, but fools in the eyes of the world. But it is always those who are filled with his spirit and with his word, whose complete confidence is in the authority, the sufficiency, and power of his word, whom the Lord calls to speak on his behalf. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that the way our Lord shepherds his people is through his word. And our hope is in the promise that his word will not return void, but will accomplish all that he has purposed. Well, most of us are not preachers today, so what does this have 
to do with us. If I can have my next slide. Well, if this is how God has always shepherded his, his people, it begs the question, how receptive are you to his shepherding? How do you receive his word in your life? If I could use a baseball analogy, much like a catcher works in unison with a pitcher, we as expository listeners are to team up with the expository preacher for the word of God to have its intended effect of transforming our lives. In baseball, both the pitcher and the catcher have an important role in the pitching process. The responsibility doesn't all fall on the shoulders of the pitcher. In the same way, we play an active role in the process of expository preaching. And if you were to go through your Bible from beginning to end, you would find that there are more commands and promises related to hearing and obeying the Word of God than there are commands and promises related to teaching and preaching His Word. Without diminishing the importance of expository preaching, there's a clear emphasis in Scripture of listening to the Word of God. Let me point out a few passages. Deuteronomy 6.3 says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Matthew eleven fifteen, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. James 1, 22 through 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is a, like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, which follows our exegesis passage. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? A question for us. Seeing that God has given us his word to shepherd our lives and that we play no small part in the process, do we spend as much time prayer and effort preparing to hear God's word than Pastor Mark spends preparing to preach and teach God's word. All right, this was convicting for me to consider. You know, if I had to be honest with myself, I place more effort preparing to teach or to serve than on preparing to listen. In regards to our preparation to hear God's word, if I can briefly address 
our media consumption today. Right? During the week, some of us spend hours and hours on social media, playing computer and video games on our iPads and iPhones, and relatively little time in the Word. Perhaps you've had a stressful week at work, so on Saturday you stay up late watching YouTube to decompress. You go to bed past midnight. You wake up late the next morning and rush into church the next day. Well, should it be any surprise that you struggle to understand the sermon when it requires that you listen actively when you've been watching passively all week? Have you considered that perhaps the reason you're not growing at this church is not the preacher, but you? But it's not just about hearing sermons, but how do you approach his word in your daily devotionals? Right, when you read the Bible, do you come to listen to his voice and allow his word to shepherd your heart? Or do you simply do it to check off a box? Do you see your time in the Word as His gracious provision for your life? But it's not just your daily devotionals. How do you respond when the Word is brought to bear on your life by those whom God has placed over you through correction and reproof? There has been a number of cases in our church where people have come to your elders and your discipleship group leaders to pursue shepherding. Right? Just as the rich young ruler approached Jesus, believing that he was doing the right thing. And when they have not received the validation or affirmation that they desire, they've walked away, discontent, and bitter, and even offended. And in 1 John 2:19, the apostle John explains the reason for their response. And it's a sobering one. He writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And brothers and sisters, we can all claim to know the Good Shepherd. But it is our response to his word that reveals whether we are truly receptive to his shepherding, whether we are really listening to his voice. And in the case of the rich young ruler, he wasn't open to correction. This goes to show that expository listening has more to do with our hearts than with our ears. And there's a big difference between hearing and listening. And the distinction is what we do with God's Word. Do we obey it by faith? Or do we nod our head and continue to live our lives unaffected by His Word? I get my next slide. Right. It brings to mind the parable of the soils recorded in Matthew chapter 13. And if you recall, great crowds were following Jesus as He performed signs and miracles and teaching as one who had authority. And he sits down to tell them this parable starting in verse 3. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. 
and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, in this parable, Jesus uses as an illustration that would have been very familiar to Jewish life. Right? The farmer would place a bag of seeds over his shoulder and throw handfuls of seed onto the ground as he walked through the field. And the fate of the seed had everything to do with the condition of the soil. And in this parable, Jesus describes four kinds of soil to illustrate four kinds of hearts on which the Word of God lands, only one of which actually yields fruit. And you and I know this to be true. Right? Four people can hear the same Word of God and have very different responses to it. Some have a stubborn, unreceptive heart, represented by the seeds that fell along the path. Some have a shallow, superficial heart, represented by the seeds that fell on rocky ground. Some have a worldly, strangled heart, represented by the seeds that fell among the thorns. And finally, some have a soft, receptive heart, represented by the seeds that fell on good soil. And thus Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. I'm going to get my next slide. Now, it is interesting to note that right before Jesus explains the meaning of this parable to his disciples, he actually points out the reason he is speaking to them in parables. It was to fulfill what God has spoken through the prophet Isaiah centuries ago, that due to the hardness of their hearts, the people would hear but not understand. They would see but not perceive. Ian Murray makes this point in his biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones that the Word of God effectively preached will always have one of two effects. It will either soften hearts or it will harden it. There is no neutral response to the Word of God. And we see this with the Israelites in the Old Testament in their response to the Word of the Lord. We also see this with the Pharisees in the New Testament in their response to the words of Christ. This should cause us to stop and consider our own response, lest we be cavalier in the hearing of God's word. Hebrews 3, 7 through 9 warns us, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test, and saw my works for 40 years. Right, today, there is no shortage of Bibles, sermons, books, podcasts, and conferences on the Word of God. And specifically in our church, we have been blessed by the faithful preaching and teaching and counseling and shepherding ministries of Pastor Mark and your discipleship group leaders. And one day we will all be judged for how we have received and listen to his word spoken through them. Throughout redemptive history, this has always been the way God has shepherded his people. It's through the implanted word, which is able to save our souls 
and make us like Him. And whether we have truly listened or not is determined by our response to His Word. So then, are we like the Thessalonians, who rightly received and accepted the words they heard, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in us believers? Is your life producing ongoing fruit in keeping with repentance, faith, and obedience, representative of someone who is actively listening to the words of the Good Shepherd? Or is your heart being hardened by unrepentant sin? Is the word being choked by the pleasures, riches, desires, and worries of this world? Perhaps you exhibit an initial excitement upon hearing the word, but over time, what is revealed is a shallow and superficial heart. If I can get my final slide. I'll close with some application. First, have you come to Christ by faith and repentance? All of us have failed to listen to and obey God and deserve to be punished by Him. It started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, but has continued to this day. And due to our sin, we have all been rendered incapable of understanding and obeying what God has said in His Word. We are all hearing impaired and alienated from God. But praise God that what is impossible with man is possible with him. As we learned in our previous FOF lesson, Christ is the Word made flesh. He lived and died and rose again so that those who come to him by faith receive the Holy Spirit. He takes residence in our hearts and enables us to understand and apply the word to our lives through his ministry of illumination. This is the hope of the gospel, and it is the message that has been revealed through Jesus Christ. Second, who are you listening to? Is it the voice of the Good Shepherd or the myriad of voices out in the world? As Pastor Mark exhorted us this past Sunday, Are you truly following the one who laid down his life for his sheep? Finally, what are the things in your life, even the good things, that compete for your attention and dull your affection for the Word of God? Is it family? Is it work? Is it your finances? Is it hobbies? Is it social media? What drives your schedule week to week? Is it your work schedule, your class schedule, your children's activities, your seminary assignments, your vacation, or is it the ministry of His Word? Brothers and sisters, as we kick off a new semester in Lagos, let us recommit ourselves to centering our lives around Christ and setting our priorities in our schedules around the ministry of His Word. Christ promises to bless us both now and for all eternity if we will listen to and obey Him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank You for Your Word that reminds us that You have spoken 
spoken through the prophets of old, and you're speaking today. Most of all, you have spoken to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the fullest revelation of who you are so that we might behold him, that we might know him, that we might obey him, and we might place our faith in him. And he promises to be with us and lead us every step of the way in the path of righteousness. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word. Lord, that you who has started a good work in our lives will complete it. And so help us to keep our eyes fixed upon the author and perfecter of our faith and help us to live for him. We thank you and pray all these things in his name. Amen.